0: Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the Future of Work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine-to-five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Hello everybody, I'm delighted to introduce Shirley Terry today. Her own experience about becoming a mother inspired her to start up Moms at Work in Singapore in 2010 and Career Navigators in 2016. In our conversation, Shirley talked about her decade-long focus on creating flexible work opportunities and back-to-work initiatives, for returning professionals with companies who are focused on work-life integration. She also shared examples of events for her 47,000 member strong community of moms from workshops, career fairs, her portal and more. It was very interesting to learn how COVID-19 has influenced the unpaid care work and dads involvement in Singapore. Shirley and I also spoke about job sharing and why it has not really taken off in Singapore. I appreciated her honest feedback, which will help you, our listener, when setting up job sharing in your own organization or becoming a job sharer. Other topics that we talked about included transferable skills from unpaid care work, as well as how younger generations will influence the job market going forward. Welcome to the show, Shirley. Hi, Queen. Nice to be here today. Thank you for coming. It's so nice that you are here. Now, for our listeners, could you tell us where are you calling in from and what type of local food or site could they be eating or visiting when they come um, close to your area? Uh, I am actually calling in from Singapore and Singapore
1: is well known for food. We have different types of food. Um, I think when you come by, you will probably find something you like, but um, chicken rice is very popular in Singapore and uh, also some of the other Malay dishes. Yeah. So uh, I think when it comes to food and, and you know, sites in Southeast Asia, Singapore is also a very cosmopolitan city. So, in a way, it's almost like I always joke that it's almost like the London of the United Kingdom. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. I used to live in London for a while. So, yes, I remember trying out many different types of food there. So, yes. yes. So, now, Shirley, can you share with our listeners what made you decide to start Moms at Work?
1: Uh, well, firstly, I became a mother and um, you know I recognized or rather I realized how challenging it was to try to um, raise my family and also continue with my job. Uh, my job at that time um, I would say it wasn't always the case but there would be months where I would work till 10 or 11 at night uh, and I didn't see my baby so it made me realize that hey um, There must be another option out there. So I went to look for flexible work arrangements. I couldn't find it. And I thought, you know, why not I create a portal and try to go and find where all these flexible work uh, arrangements and flexi jobs were. Um, So I started that in 2010. Uh, To a certain extent, it was like a a bit of a hobby. Um, And then it grew. The demand for it grew, there were many women that stepped forward and interestingly, there were companies that started to say, "Hmm, maybe I'll offer flexible work arrangement, I'll allow work from home, I will have part-time jobs, I will have job sharing. Uh, Obviously, these were smaller firms at the beginning. Um, But I think, um, so so we kind of got started that way. Uh, And since then we grew and grew and grew, and we have about uh, maybe 47,000 to 48,000 women regularly on the database. Um, And on the average, we list about at least 20 of jobs um, a month. Uh, It sounds quite little, but what happens is these are all real, genuine, flexible jobs. Um, And over the years, we also started to to diversify. (laughs) I started to look at mumpreneurs, which is basically women who wanted to start their own small business from their home, meaning that they were based in the the kitchen table, for example, trying to to get a business going. Um, And then in 2016, we then, um, or rather I then opened up um, what I call a subsidiary. It's called Career Navigators but it's part of Moms at Work. And we we rebranded that because we recognised it wasn't just the moms who wanted flexible work. Um, It was also other uh, women, usually women, who were caregivers who also struggled to come back into work. So this was about the return to work um, talent, right? Uh, And under that capacity, it was huge. The firms were very uh, supportive and we started running a lot of hiring campaigns, career fairs. Um, specifically for people with career gaps, yeah. So we've evolved a bit since then um, and actually I'm looking forward to continue changing, you know, based on what the market is is looking at and and what is in demand,
0: yeah. That honestly, it just sounds so amazing that you (laughs) go from your own, you know, struggle to find flexible work to say, okay, I am trying to figure out a way that I can help other women, other people to do this. And I know, you know, talking to people, it's not easy because sometimes um, corporations don't always find it, you know, they might not always be that welcoming to return us and to flexible work as a whole so i'm really curious because i looked you know when i was doing my research you have so many large international corporations so how did you bring them on board and show them the benefits that the returners have and the working parents who are interested in working flexible work and as you said you know that might be job sharing that might be part time and on different levels, not only "quote unquote" on an entry level position, but in multiple different areas. So, how did you do it? Yeah,
1: I think um, I think there was a lot of hits and misses along the way, but I think when it came to corporations, I very early on I recognized that corporations, especially big MNCs, um, they value diversity and inclusion. They value the fact that it's very hard to retrain talent. So when we first went in to talk about flexible work arrangements, it was very often about how do you change your roles to be more flexible. Mm-hmm. This is the earlier years, right? And it was about retention. And then over time, um, at least in Singapore and parts of Asia, we have a problem or rather a challenge with an ageing workforce, mm-hmm. right? And the, the replacement rates are not high enough and they won't be for a long time. I think I think actually in a lot of developed countries, it's the same. So companies started to re- realize, hey, my workforce is limited. Um, I cannot keep on doing this. So the reason why for us, bigger firms were easier to talk to was usually uh, on a more strategic level. They're thinking about um, five, 10 years down the road. And if you look at what's coming out of the college or university, you know the numbers are not going to match up. So that's where you start thinking, can I bring someone back in, right? Can I, um, who, who are these women? And so convincing the um, corporations took a bit of time, but I also had a lot of what I call engagement sessions. So for example, we ran career fairs, but they were not career fairs per se. We call it, for example, we got your back. It's, a, it's this whole concept that, um, you know, 12 to 14 companies that we invite will come forward, Their HR and the hiring managers. And then they will have these, um, you know, resume critique in one room, mock interview in another room, um, job networking in another room. But the idea was always to force the interaction between the women who want to come back to work and the hiring managers. Because a lot of time, um, and I think we talked about this before we started, you um, Companies, or rather the hiring managers, not the HR, but the individual um, business unit heads, they don't know what they don't know. They always think if you've taken a break from work, you know, Why should I hire you, right? Um, And because I met these women, I knew how talented they were. You would have your ex-CFOs, CEOs, even COOs. And and, and they stopped work because of children or because of caregiving, but they wanted to come back in. Now, if you look at the traditional job search process, uh, a career gap on a resume is not explained. And no matter how you explain it, the hiring portion is always quick. So you just see the gap and you think, I, I don't know your reason, and even if you wrote it down, I don't believe you, right? But when you force an interaction between a hiring manager and the female talent, um, the general feedback was from the hiring managers was always, these women are very good, how come I've never seen them, you know? so. I think when we run a career fair like that, my end goal isn't just about the jobs. Of course, some of them, a lot of them, do get the jobs. But my end goal is to change mindsets, and you mm-hmm. cannot change mindsets until people have a chance to to meet with um, someone, you know, from the other side of the the discussion. Uh, in this case, a returning talent, and you recognize that there is a real talent in front of you. So as any person would do, once I see this, I start thinking and asking myself, have I been biased in the past? Has there been something that I did not pick up? And, and, and we ran this, consequ- uh, you know, consistently twice a year and the companies, one by one, you can see them change. You can see the managers coming because the HR wants to do this. HR always tells me, and partnering you, Mm -hmm. it's the hiring manager, you know, and it's not always the CEO, CEO, we've had CEO, CEOs come in and say, Oh, I I love what you do, Shirley, we're going to partner you and they're great. But it's when you trickle down to the functional level, Mm -hmm. the hiring manager doesn't think like that. Uh, Most hiring managers just want to put someone in and I'm not thinking so much, right? So um, we stepped in to do that. Um, and I think the other thing that we also do, which I don't always talk about in public voucher, is we support the reintegration process. So uh-huh. we're not a whole planter, but what we tell firms is that if you hire one of these women back, um, you don't you don't have to pay us for the hire, but you have to pay for this reintegration program for the woman uh-huh. and her direct manager. Uh-huh. Um, my reason for doing that is because it forces the manager to be trained because no one likes to go for training. They always say, oh, it means I'm no good or oh, it means that, um, you know, you take more time for me. But if you tell me that it's a reintegration orientation for the mom, uh, returning talent, um, okay, fine, I'll do it. And in that process, again, my coaches or program managers, each one late, one program managers always are uh, linked to one high mom, mom who comes back in and her manager. But that uh, three months period, it's just this whole discussion about, for example, what are you looking at? What exactly are you uh, assessing the female talent on? And very often, it helps us buy time for the returning talent to get back up to speed because she, she, there's no way someone who hasn't worked for seven, eight years can come in and start running, you know? So, so the program manager is, is sort of focusing on, okay, where are the areas where she's strong at, where, where she's weak, And then we have those discussions because when a new person joins a firm, you're always a little bit nervous. You're not going to be very honest and say, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that, right? So this reintegration journey, we use something called the reintegration dimensions to measure the person's um, ability Mm -hmm. as opposed to a normal performance appraisal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's worked a lot because the people that benefit from it, interestingly, it's not so much the returning talent. Obviously, she benefits. It's the manager. The manager learns how to manage someone that has come back in after a career break. So again, remember what I mentioned earlier on, my, our end goal, or at least my end goal, has always been, I don't just want to plug and play things. I want this to have a trickle effect that's long-term. So if someone hires a returning talent, I don't just, it's not just about the hiring. The manager changes. Going forward, this same manager Without our support, we'll look at returning talents, or when they hire someone who has taken a career break, has been given some guidance on the kind of skill sets he or she needs to help this person succeed. So, um, to me, these are these are these are integral, right? If, if you want to make an impact,
0: yeah. That sounds really interesting. And to your point, then the ripple effect as well. So the hiring manager has a success with somebody who comes back, talks to his or a buddy and says you know guess what I just had somebody come back and otherwise I might not have picked that person but it's been such a success so loyal so determined yes. so hardworking. so if I have a chance I will do it again and so then the, yes. the second person says hmm, maybe I should try that too and actually, that's what happens with a lot of firms. It's
1: because we've had success for a year or one campaign. They, the next campaign, they have, more, they have more roles. Other departments come and they're like, hey, it's me, you know. <laughs> so, so um, again, I mean, of course, I will be honest. Not every single um, returning talent will succeed. But you see, if if there's some hand-holding, um, it is clearer to look at the situation and and, and know that the... the where it failed may not necessarily be because returning talents are bad. Sometimes the personality, it's like you hire anyone, the personality is just not a good fit. Or the job, the manager's not a great manager, right? So by having this reintegration support, I noticed that we really pick out the real reason why it didn't fit. So that the company cannot then say, all returners are no good. They realize this after a while. So so I I think, again, this is part of my whole um, reasoning for saying that, you know, when we do this, you cannot come in and just say, I just want to hire, you know, you really need to think about this. If you want to systematically change as an organization, you have to go down into all these little steps and we partner them. So there's no excuse to say, we don't know how to do it. You know, we're like, Oh, we're here. Yeah.
0: This is awesome. So now, you know, I've done a lot of research and, um, Now, regarding the unpaid care work, it shows like you know that there is such a diversity now in parenting, and therefore, it's so important to include all of its form. And I've been talking to a lot of dad advocates around the world on my podcast, and basically, um, you know what they say is like anybody who is interested in caregiving should be giving the opportunity to do so and it's like today i mean i just have to tell you this because i was so excited today volvo came out that i don't did you see this so where it's now it's an opting um you have to opt out of the parental leave rather than that you have to ask you know that you know that you're going to take so and so many um weeks of leave and so because I feel often it is dads who are missing out because there is still even more of a flexibility stigma if I'm a dad and to ask for yeah. it. And so I'm just curious because I don't know, like in Singapore from a, um, you know, if, if I'm a, a male, if I'm a dad who wants to take um, a leave of absence because I want to do caregiving, have you seen any changes? Is this, um you know, more common now? Do Dads come to your organization now as well? Or, I, you know, if you could sort of share a little bit, that would be lovely.
1: I, w- I want to credit uh, the Singapore government for this. Um, we, we partner the government sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think the government's very... I mean, if you've done some research, you realize it's, it's a pretty amazing government in the sense that it, it saw this, right? And paternity leave was already introduced. So as a Singaporean or a firm based in Singapore, you have to give paternity leave. It's compulsory. Okay. Uh, so so they have tried very much to push for that and I think um, there is some success um, but I think where Singapore faces its real challenge is culturally it's to an Asian country and in Asia um, it's changed a lot um, and I used to work in Japan so I can say this um Japan's pretty extreme, right? Yes. <laughs> Japan, yes. Right?
0: Exactly. Uh, we're not
1: like that. We're not like that at all. But um, I think the caregiving role is still very much uh, embraced by the females here. Okay. Um, having said that, I think what has changed thing, things hasn't been because there is legislation of leave or the companies give it. Um, it was COVID. Okay. Because the last one year. Uh, a lot of dads got to stay at home Uh and a lot of dads got to realize how precious and nice it is actually to spend time with children, right? So I I always believe in this, that leave legislation, they are great, but they can sometimes backfire. I say this because when we first, I think during the last 12 years, one of the earlier government initiatives was they increased the maternity leave from three months to four months. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's paid right by the government, and um, there was backlash. There were companies that said, "I," well, they didn't say it, but we knew about it. They didn't. They just stopped hiring women, or they found ways to figure out if you just got married. You know, you probably are not gonna. So it was. It was these small things, right? And so that, And I always say this: for every legislation, for every uh, good scheme out there, um, if it's nationwide. And it's not fully embraced. People will find small ways to, just to, to counter it because it's not to them. It, they don't see it as productive. For example, what has happened with COVID is I feel now your employees see it, they feel it, then they want it. That's where you can slowly change the stigma. You know, I, I think you cannot have this case of even the government coming to do this, and the companies are like, mm, I'm not sure. But when the demand comes, it's a bit like my, how numbers that were pushed out was because our demand was there. Once the numbers started coming, people start pushing. Every time we list a job, it gets filled up with good candidates. Then people start talking about it, right? So I, I, don't, I don't think it's really about the companies themselves offering it. It's great, but when the people, the employees start to ask for it. I find that a lot of times, I mean at least in Asia, a lot of times there were men who say, oh I kind of want it. But you know, but on paternity leave they will go, they were, they went golfing. They they didn't stay at home to be with the kids, right? So so again to my point, when people feel the empathize, that means they either feel the pain or the joy of something. That's when they ask for it. That's when they want it. That's when they will make the whole situation work. Right, um, I think caregiving is, is a very interesting, it is a very interesting part of, and again, it ties back to my earlier point. Okay, so just like you asked me, I think, a question, how do we persuade corporates, right? One of the things I do at Moms at Work is I never go into a discussion with a corporate to say that we're championing moms or championing women, they don't like, I mean, it's so not they don't like it, they will hear it, but I always say this, at the end of the day, what we're trying to help a firm do is to really, um, to borrow this Sharon uh, Sandberg's words, right, it's really about helping companies to create a work environment where they embrace every single employee, because they call for loyalty, but that also means that you recognize all the roles that a, a, an employee faces, right? And I think interestingly, as human beings, we we discover that some of us, not all of us, some of us really do enjoy life more than work, right? But there are also people who love work, and and, and there are dads. I guarantee you can give them all the paternity leave in the world. They would still prefer to be at work, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So I, I, I'm a big believer that. And the change I'm trying to drive is that there is that options available. Like what you said, I give you the option of six months. I'm hoping somehow in that six months of paternity leave, you, you enjoy it and you recognize it. And, and I'm, I am, in a way, is, to me, it's sending out a signal that I am embracing you as an employee. You take your whole self to work. You're a dad as much as you are an employee of who we are. Right. Um, and again, like I said, some dads will love it. They will grab it and, and it's time spent with their kids. But there will be dads, which I'm sure, like, just like their moms, you know, it's not every mom. And I'm going to say this, even though I probably get shot. It's that I have met moms in my 12 years that kind of pull me aside and say, you know, I, I love being a mom, but honestly, I love being a career woman more. Is that bad and I'm going to say this it's not it's who you are right and and as a mom I don't like it but as a woman I cannot judge you I think I think you are we are built certain ways right so I love this whole idea that firms are coming forward to push for these but again these are options what, what we've always been fighting for is give more options, more flexibility to allow all these different arrangements so that people can come forward. And it's funny because sometimes on Women's Day, we get asked to do these talks with other feminist leaders and I say, but I'm not a real feminist. You know, I, for me, I'm just fighting for more options so that, you know, women or, it could be men too, right, who, who are, who are caught between, don't feel like I have to choose, I, I have to be pressured. It's just you give me more options, the firm gives me more options, the country gives me more options, and then I can then work the best arrangement. You know, um, I hope I answered that question.
0: <laughs> no, you, uh, you, you definitely did, Shirley, because it's it's really interesting. I've heard, you know, I've read about different company cultures where, while say. There is, you know, in big letters, yes, we offer paternity leave, maternity leave, But the reality of the company culture is that there is a stigma attached to it. And so very few people will take the whole amount. Right. And then the other thing is exactly what you said as well for different countries where like, you know, Japan has one of the longest paternity leaves in theory. But in practice, because of cultural and presumably company reasons, very few men take yeah. the entire amount. Yeah. So you have and then you look at Sweden, where by contrast, say if you are dead and you don't take the full amount of your paternity leave, you are perceived to be um, you know, it's sort of surprising that you don't do it and if you don't participate in caregiving. So I think there are many different aspects yeah. that all you yeah. know are uh, together and I I agree with you it's very important to have choice Mm. and and it's like and I feel like you know I'm German so when I look at Europe as a whole I feel there is more choice available than say in North America where I truly feel at this point in time it's much more in either or simply because flexible work, especially prior to COVID yeah. has not been as embraced, embraced. as Correct. it is today. Correct. So, you know, it's it's, it's re- just as you said, you know, when I attend meetings today, I hear the word flexible work and, you know, and the emphasis on, how, you know, that care work is important. I think it has, the pandemic has care work made much more visible yeah. than it was yeah. before, right? But, before yeah. it was, yeah.
1: Yeah, but what, what worries me is, okay, so for Singapore, because our number of COVID cases is very low, actually, they mm-hmm. will what we don't have many. Every day we have none in the community. So, wow. so our life is actually quite, um, you know, even from April, um, companies can return to work. 75% of their workforce can go back. Yeah, because we, we, wow. like, yeah, we are pretty clean, uh, to be honest. So, I mean, anyway, okay. I'm not here to talk about COVID, (laughs) but but what has been interesting for me is you can see now some firms want to go back to the original Mm -hmm. So, Mm So um, I can, I would like to venture to say this. Um, The world will probably, uh, the world's very excited. The rest, is very unique, right? We're coming back to work, and then stuff stuff like that. The world's very excited. There's this hope when I speak to MNCs and internationally that or after this, you know, um, we will totally change the way we do work. There will be so much more flexibility. I think there'll be more flexibility, but there will be firms and there will be countries and there'll be organisation cultures that will revert back to its old form. Mm-hmm. And they will mm-hmm. still push against this fight for flexibility, right? And I think um, uh, flexible work arrangements, I used to say this all the time, it is actually by nature flexible. There isn't a fixed way of, again, to my point, it is more important that the company is thinking about putting in flexible work arrangements because they genuinely care about their employees. So right. the truth is, if I genuinely care about the employee, I don't fix up a structure per se. It's not, it's not about the paternity leave, you know. I know firms like, to your point, they don't talk about maternity leave, but they, they have many cases where the dads are like, I'll just take off at 3 p.m. because I need to go for a kid's what Right. And there is no stigma attached to it. People are like, yay, go ahead, do it. You know, Um, I have had uh, MNCs where you look on the corporate culture, there isn't anything mentioned about all these things. But way we, before, before, we used to have Zoom, uh, not Zoom at that time, but whatever, you know, online mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. um. I have seen cases where um, even up to now, um, you know, they, they, they very openly bring their babies into the conversation. And so so again, for us, um, after so many years, my colleagues and I actually can tell when a firm is genuinely a good firm for families. You know, I, I, I think there are many firms, even in Singapore, they're like, oh, we want this award. We have this accolade and blah, blah, blah. But we've worked with them and we realised no, It's not, you know, it's structurally beautiful, but your culture, to your point, doesn't allow it. I knew managers who listed a job with us for flexible. The lady was allowed to go home at four. I'll share the story because it traumatized me for <laughs> it was my first traumatized story, I always say. Um, and and I got a call from the lady about four or five months into the job, and she said, sure. mm-hmm. Um, and normally we don't get calls from them, but like it was a bit surprised. She said, I, I love. What you do, and I, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the job, they pay me well, the workload's great. But I have a very odd manager. I said, What do you mean? She said, Um, every day, you know, how I'm supposed to go home at four, but sometimes if there's more work, I, I will just stay and, and, and do, do it up right because that's my loyalty to the company. I, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a win win situation, like right? you you're right, right to me. I, you know, and my particular manager will come up to me and say, Hey, it's four o'clock. It's for you. You better go. If you don't go, right, then um, we'll be seen to be not very kind to employees. (laughs) And she said initially was fine, and then it got more Mm -hmm. stressful. And then she said she read between the lines. He's not happy about the fact she goes on at four, but he finds a different way to come at her. You you know right. So this is very common. And early years, I remember going to a very famous, well-known, I can't mention, bank to to go. And because they had flexible arrangements in their structure, nobody was taking it out. And my job was to go there to persuade the employees and the managers to give it. And after I did finish the talk with the CEO and then blah, 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 um, a few ladies came up to me, you know, during lunchtime. And they said, we just want you to know that we love it, but if I ask for it, I'll get penalized. So hmm. I'm not asking for it. They say, you know, don't... And one lady was so sweet. She said, don't waste time trying to convince us because we won't do it. The culture doesn't allow it. So this, to my point, is until we talk about this on a, on a very, um, not so much a systematic way, um, but really about the cultural change, this move is slow. It's almost like... And I, I don't... um disagree, there are experts who tell me, you put the structure in place, it will work in time. And I agree, because once you have it there, over time, the new badges that come in will ideally ask for it. So like Volvo doing this, immediate changes are not there, you know, but the next few job applicants that come in will start saying, I know that this is my right. I know that, you know, so so it will take a while. And, And that's the reason why you still try to put the systematic change. But again, I've seen it being blocked by the manager. So even Zoom, yeah. work from home. We had horror cases. We heard of people who said, um, and these are very small firms. Um, the manager would tell them, everybody, at 9 a.m. sharp, turn on your Zoom, log on. And, and you just put the Zoom there and do your work. <laughs> so I can see that you're still there. So you see, it is cultural, right? That, yeah, yeah. It hasn't changed the way
0: flexible work arrangement is, which is trust yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, and that brings me to my next question. And like, um, I'm a huge fan of job sharing and job sharing. There is so much trust, trust involved. And so my thought was that because more people are working from home now, in a way managers are having to get used to more trust work and so then like you know job sharing one of the things i see as a particular benefit is because ultimately there are two people fulfilling a full-time job then your earlier example where you know somebody is being asked to do something at four o'clock well from the perspective of the, you know, the hiring manager, mm-hmm. there is always somebody there, but because it's two, yeah. then neither of them is going to be having to, you know, do extra work because while that other person is, you know, doing maybe caregiving or other things, yeah. they have their team members. So, so I just wanted to learn a little bit more because I had researched and seen that the Singaporean government was supporting job sharing, which to be honest, I had never really seen in that format by a government. So I was just super excited. And I wanted to see if you, you know, know maybe more about the origins or how this happened and, and uh, you know yeah, and what- We were
1: involved in the yeah. earlier discussions because we were trying to push it out. But I'll be frank with you, Queen. Hasn't the tick-up rate for job sharing has been the lowest? <laughs>
0: huh. And and why is that? I'm um, I'm just I'm so curious. Yes.
1: I cannot speak on a national level. I can only speak for the cases that we saw which failed. Um, mm-hmm. I think certain job functions allow for very easy job sharing because the work is um, the work is quite easily demarcated. You can kind of say this is your part, this is my part, right? Um, but when it failed, was very often it wasn't the trust of the manager; it was the trust of the two employees. They didn't oh, with, e-
0: with each other, you
1: mean? Yeah, oh, and wow. those always fail. Yeah, they always fail for some bizarre reason. Um, it doesn't work if someone had a full time role and then they decide to half it off to someone new that was being hired. In. We saw that they got a little bit. Um, what's a good word for it? That that handover um, was always like, you know, this is your part. I, you know, you are in here to help me do this, right? So, I saw that fail. I saw it fail when um, I think there were two of them sharing and I think they were at the end of the year that boss told me he said well both of them came in trying to prove their worth to me and it was quite competitive you know.
0: You know as you are saying this because you know I've talked with a lot of people from around the world about job sharing and when we are talking sort of the main criteria of how to ensure it is working. The first one is not to have an ego about oneself, but the ego is about fulfilling the position yes. and to have trust with trust with each other yeah. and to have good communication. Yeah, because, because yeah, that's I found that the job
1: sharing was interesting because the manager's role was almost on compared to work right. from home yes. and all that, right? It was interesting. Job sharing was actually always two employees. I always joke about it. The two employees keep problems. Uh, <laughs> because When we hear that story, we're like, is it the manager? Is it the manager? Or is it no? It's always the two employees day. something happens with that. So again, I found that it worked best when the duties were very, very clear. This is your part. This is my part, right? Uh, it worked very well for operational executive levels. But when, and, and job sharing is very bad for if you're a manager, because it's so hard. As, as a manager. It was almost like I had to manage people. When is it my function to manage this part? When is it your function? That's when they argue. So I, I, I do not, and the government agreed, because we started to stop playing up job sharing. I'm quite sure of that, because oh, the number of cases that, that didn't work out was more than the number of cases that worked out. Now, when does job sharing worked best? If they already work together as, as colleagues, right? You don't bring in someone new into the equation. So what happens is, very clearly you take on a bit more, the boss comes in to say, because you've taken on part of her role and you're sharing her job with her, your performance appraisal includes this part of it. Mm, That's when it actually worked out because the person feels compensated for it. And this person is also feeling, I gave half my workload to you. If I'm not compensated for it at the end of the year, I buy that. Interesting, right? So I'm no expert at this, but from the observations I made, uh, and like you, I was very excited about job sharing, and then I realized yeah. it is very challenging because the personalities at play were very confusing, and the nature of the work was so uh, much of a factor in determining whether it succeeded or not. The lines were very grey. Sometimes, um, it worked best when, when like I said, it's really a hit or miss. Even more so than any of the other uh, work from home or part time work or. Uh, three days what we compress what we because again you Mm -hmm, take control mm -hmm. of that right so again like remember what I mentioned earlier even that lady who went back at four um there were days where she stayed back late because it was her responsibility but when you have this job sharing thing I go home at four you, you take over my duty right so that was why we saw these two we saw some a few discussions where it was it was very unpleasant I thought um I, I love how job share looks on paper because I remember putting the proposals through for a lot of mm-hmm. firms. Right. Um, but, the, but the human side of it was, was critical. Yeah. So it still works. You know? I'm not saying that it doesn't work, yeah. but I learned that it yeah. works best when it's with existing staff and they already have some kind of a work you know, situation, and the manager steps in and, and is very clear in, in demarcating, this is, your rewards is based on this, your rewards is based And because they're existing staff, meaning that mm-hmm. they've already had some kind of a work relationship. And eventually, it also works if the one who's half, her job is half, she knows she's going back in. So they're trying to build this up so that the work relationship stays good. Trip to the end so there's less calculating of this is yours this is mine you, you know what I mean right? we cover each other it's very fascinating to watch so um, we've also listed job sharing roles on my site um, again same thing they <laughs> feel uh, and the manager is very cute the manager said I'm trying very hard but it's like managing two very different personalities and it's driving me nuts so I said okay 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 so, so uh, eventually he changed his job to I remember three days work from home two days, you know, work in the office, just one day they do everything, and then he got really happy with that, yeah. So I I, I think, um, I mean, I don't want to say that it doesn't work, but the amount of things that are beyond the control of, of the manager and of the company is huge, which is why it becomes a little bit harder sometimes.
0: It's, it's really interesting to hear your perspective mm. because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and like one of the previous guests, um, Maggie Pickett from England. Mm-hmm. So she was a job sharer together with her partner for 23 years. Mm-hmm. So they were together in seven different um, jobs. They got promoted twice. And um, her partner, meaning her company partner. Yes, correct. Correct. So, so they met, it was actually way back at the beginning, her boss saw her working part-time and her colleague working part-time and he literally said hey why don't you guys work together and so they stayed together for 23 years and so you know and so that was they retired at a ceo level Basically, but you see, again, to my point, they were
1: already working together. They already had some kind of a working style established. That's when it works. Remember what I mentioned earlier on? I said that the ones that have always worked well, they were already part of the team together. So that means they kind of knew how each other worked and and they found a way to say, uh, I, I can't explain this well, but it's almost like that chemistry between the two allows them to do this well. And I liken this to almost like as a business, when I run a business, um, why is it certain partnerships for me for certain projects are amazing and then some are so challenging because it is so much dependent on our personality types mm-hmm. and our working style. And the problem is if you get someone new into the picture that you've never met, it's actually very hard because both sides don't have an idea of how this is going to be and, and they take on too much of their whole, um, in a way, take on too much of their risk, right? And and so to my point are, it's been great when there's an existing colleague takes on the job sharing because they somehow, I don't know what it is, they seem to know that. And there is a promise that after the job sharing, they're going to continue on to be together as, as, as colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when you see everybody trying to make the relationship work and things like that. Then there is no, this is my part, this is your part it becomes, I'll cover you when you need to, you cover you know. Um, When it's hiring from scratch or one person opens up part of your job to an external party, it always somewhere along the way, if if
0: they couldn't get the fit right, it then fails. Does that make sense? I mean, I can definitely see your perspective from the research and the people I've talked to. I think half of the time, the job sharers don't know each other beforehand. And so Mm -hmm. in Germany, for example, a lot of the really large companies, such as like Mercedes Bayersdorf SAP, they do a lot of job sharing, both on a like I, you know, on a management level as well as on a job sharing level. And like in England, there is um the you know, the government um for the civil servants.
1: Yeah, civil servants here yeah, is huge. So so when they wrote this out, it was very big for the civil servants, you know, but the private sector, no. So the department rate was very low for, and the
0: government gave out grants for it. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. That's what I saw. Yeah. And so in Germany in particular, I think it's definitely becoming more and more common. So like at SAP in Germany, every management position has to be written out as a job sharing potential. Mm-hmm. So, and so I think, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to know, you know, what could go well, what could go, you know, not so well. I think from what I've been reading and hearing is like, it could be either that you have people who are complementing each other. So I've heard, you know, say somebody is better at presenting, somebody is better at like, you know, writing, you know, they work together. But I think all of it comes back down to trust in my mind. And I think if You know, I definitely agree with you that job sharing is certainly not for everyone. I think you have to have a personality that works with it. So if you are a type A personality who ultimately want to see yourself as going along the career ladder, as a yes, so. person, that's not going to work. And I think yeah, to realize that, that, that's an important thing. And so, you know, yeah. so, yeah, so I really appreciate hearing mm-hmm. your, you know, perspective. So that, that's been really helpful. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, so we've been talking about COVID um, now, and people like watching through Zoom calls or other ways, you know, that there is a lot of, Caregiving going in the background. One of the things I feel that has been sort of undervalued is the transferable business and soft skills that actually come from caregiving. Because often people will say, well, you know, I was, you know, whether it's the person or the hiring manager, they, they were on a career gap, which in my hmm. mind, sounds like, while well, they were just sitting there and reading a newspaper, sort of like, right? It's, it doesn't feel as if society or corporations truly value the skills that the um, yeah. people have, you know, yes. learned. And that, in my mind, then creates also a lack of self-confidence, to be honest, because yes. if somebody yes. believes, well, you've been just sitting around doing nothing, yes. it, it makes it kind of hard to then present yourself and say, hey, These are the skills I've learned. So so I'm curious, have you noticed that there has been, maybe especially now with COVID as well, more of a recognition that there are are transferable soft skills and business skills? Actually, I think
1: um, this was something that uh, we talked about a lot to companies. And they, the interesting thing for us is that it's not that like companies don't recognize it. It's just that they found it hard to to go in to justify it. They always saw it as like um, a case of, you know, you're hired based on your oral role. So what we are struggling with a lot of times, isn't that? So because we've had success in bringing women back to work. Mm-hmm. and we've had success to bring back to women to work where they used to be in their old roles right Right. but a lot of times women will say well I don't want to go back into so like example the investment bankers and the management consultants they don't want to go back into those roles they will never want to go back because once you had a family you cannot travel the way you used to travel right right right, hours, right? I mean Goldman Sachs just got in trouble right, yes. <laughs> in case, right?
0: exactly yep. <laughs> yeah when they're saying please 80 hours please and everybody else, <laughs> like what we're doing we're trying four day work we're and here they are, please, Amy, yeah, right? It, it, yeah.
1: For a lot of parents, it's very tough. So yeah. I think what's been interesting for me is that, um, to your point, it's true because COVID has forced a lot of people to do caregiving. Yeah. Uh, and because they experience it, again, our earlier point, once you have experienced it, once you have a chance to empathize, you recognize the value in it. Now, having said that, I don't think it will be that easy for for women or men to, to still put that down in paper. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Some firms are very, open. Some, a piece of career advice you always get told is, oh, please feel free to write down you are the, so for example, in your family, you are the, um, you know, C- chief operating officer of the digital t- t- family, right? Yes. But there are company, people who say, please don't do that. I mean, at the end of the day, you are, you were a caregiver and 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 don't, don't, don't fancy it. Up. So there's always these two sides, these two camps. I find, um, but more straightforward. The one thing that we do tell the returning moms is, it doesn't matter if you know you have transferable skills as a caregiver. Uh, put that in, and you, you know you don't have to fancy it. I don't have to say I'm the chief operating officer. Exactly. Of the mm-hmm. Just to be very clear. Say you know organizational skills, time management ability. Um, these are things you can still put in, and then look backwards, you know. I, I love this analogy I heard the other day. Someone who's taken a career break, it's like riding a bicycle. You always know how to ride a bicycle once you've learned it. The only thing is that it takes you a bit of time, you're a bit shaky, but once you get back on track, you're fine, right? Um, so that is the confidence level that we ask caregivers who stepped out to do that. Um, And I think it's quite sad because we run those career fairs, I told you. And these are huge career fairs. We have about 100 over to 200 over women
0: that
1: will come uh throughout the day. And usually they will tell the employers, they'll start off by saying, I'm so sorry, I have a career gap, right? And I always tell them, please do not apologize because number one, why should you be sorry, right? You chose this. You were not pushed out of the system. You opted out. And so this is what we always say to employers. These are women that opted out. These are men who opted out. Um, they're probably as good as your regular employee. They're not sitting around skiving away, you know, on the computers. They, they, they were good. And it's because there was a desire to be a caregiver. And to me, I always thought that's actually a strong point because this person knows what they want and they step out, they're not trying to balance all the balls in and, and, and the air and, and struggle with it. I said, "Are we honest with you, I said, there are some working moms or dads who are actually barely getting anything done at work and home too, right? I mean, it, because this is such a huge thing, it is so hard to say that all those who took breaks are, are lousy or all those who stay at work. Right. So we we're being very, you know, judgmental when we say career break means not relevant, right? And I, and, I, and I gave a perfect example. I said, look at digital marketing at that time, about a year, two years ago. I said, people were dying to hire digital marketeers. And the truth is people, some firm, some marketeers who were in their organisations, if their own firm wasn't very digitalized, they were very behind in their marketing skills. So they were working, but their skills were still behind because that was what they had to do every day. They were not studying extra courses because they didn't have the time. Whereas the career gap mom, some of them, they were ex-marketeers, they stopped. And because they stopped, they then say, okay, well, I'm going to go back to school for a couple of months, learn digital marketing, and I'm, I'm going to apply again. I said, you put both candidates in front of you. What's your definition of relevance then? Because this person may be in a great firm, but if their firm is not advanced, which some firms you and I both know are still really primitive, right? then he or she is no better, definitely not as good as someone who's just gone for a course, has all these years of experience, and knows some of the knowledge of digital marketing. If you ask me who's more valuable, and usually the employer tell me, well, the mama. I said, yeah, so this is my point to you, right? So again, this is what I mean by, uh, we, 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 you know, we pigeonhole people, which is why I think caregiving is something which Number one, we shouldn't apologize about. And number two, um, the other thing I also noticed is when you've taken time off work and you want to come back in, most of the time, there's a very, there's a drive to you. It's almost like I want to restart. You know, the bicycle that first takes off will try harder and that's that, that bicycle will run faster at least for the beginning part for sure. And I said that enthusiasm is something that's really nice and you know companies should look at that, you know. Sometimes a bicycle that's been moving along may not pick up speed because it's happily just moving along. It doesn't want to learn new things, right? But a bicycle that has stopped for some time, like a cyclist, then you put them back on and they're like, well learn how to do a flop. Flip yeah, here. They do it because it's new and it's exciting and something that, that, you know, and I I think from our own experience, that has been the value that a lot of return to work uh, talents bring. They say they are willing to learn, they're enthusiastic, they're open to, it's almost like, if you remember Kareem, when we first left school, our first degree, we were all very enthusiastic. Anything our boss told us to learn, we're like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and over the years, some of us get jaded, right, obviously, and they were like, yeah, whatever, you know, but... There is an enthusiasm that I see with the back-to-work talent and I love it. It's like um, there is confidence lacking, but there's also this desire to prove themselves, to start all over again, to ride the bicycle and ride it fast and good again. And I think that is what I always tell employers to do, you know. There's something that I say, um, which I do not know if you would would share, but we hire experienced hires, you know, like when we work for some time, we hire them based on their history. Um, When it comes to fresh graduates, we hire them based on their potential. Right. Right. But it's very interesting because when you look at back to work talent, it's almost like there's someone with a history, but also with a lot of potential for you to mold all over again and start again. And I think to me, that is a lot of value. If I'm an employer, I mean, I'm an employer too, I would say I love it because not only do you have good history, but you also have that drive. It's like a plasticine all ready to, to remold again.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And and thank you for bringing this up, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about reskilling, about upskilling. And in a way, because somebody who's coming back, they realize and know they will have to upskill or reskill, you know, you know, and so they do this nearly automatically, because they realize. And so from that perspective, it's not just levels the playing field to your point it might actually give people a head start because they know they have to do it anyway so they are already doing it you know from a self-motivation rather than like a fresh graduate all over again exactly exactly. and yeah so no I I really appreciate that and um yeah so I mean we've been talking a lot about Mm. different aspects so where do you see like you know What's going to happen in five or 10 years, you know, because now then we have more millennials and JC, you know, coming into the work who have a different, you know, way of looking at things. And from what the research I've have done is, you know, they definitely emphasize flexible work, purpose. And so what's been your experience or what do you think we are going? Um. It's, this, this,
1: my answer is very similar to about you know the paternity leave mm-hmm. question. Uh, the voices of the demand is higher and greater. So you do have this sense of people coming in and saying, "Don't give me the traditional work structure. Give I I I, I just want to bring my whole self to work." Right. Actually, all these things is really. I love that phrase because ultimately that's what's happening right? You know, I, I am I here because I am, you know, an employee, but don't forget this, I'm also a, a female, right? If I'm not married, for example, I'm a female looking for love, looking to start a family, looking to develop as a human being, having free time on my own, you know, on weekends, go and be, learn how to be a yoga instructor. This is who I am. And the more the company embraces who I am, the more I love my company. It's a very simple... Dual relationship And I think what's happening is To me The employees are calling up More and more for it Right I don't see the young moms uh, Accepting the fact that I have to work these 45, 48, 50 hour weeks anymore They just They come in and they say Well can you give it to me And if you cannot Let me think about it You, you know I, and, and I know I'm right Because talent acquisition yeah. managers like, Oh, They come in and they start telling me What they want And I say well high time, right, (laughs) you know? Um, And, but I mean, having said that, I think the demand will always be greater than the supply. It will still be like that for a long time because structurally, companies will, it's not as simple as just about having the arrangement. It's about having managers that are up to par. It's about having uh, systems that flow very fluidly, you know? And I think even though COVID has happened and people are running, the truth is, we're not really running at 100% optim- You know, right. optimum for most organizations, right? Um, and I think the question now is, in order to bring the productivity of each organization back up to 100%, what are the structures that are coming? What are the processes that will happen? And more importantly, what are the managerial styles that they're going to try to push for? So I told a manager the other day that, who we had some complaints about and I was quite frank I said the future is going to be very hard for you if you don't change because you have to change there is no choice and then he, he kind of gave me this look and I said <laughs> I said but you know me right I said because I've known him for many years as well and he's a great manager but he's also very stubborn <laughs> so I said, I said you know every time I get a feedback it's always about how you have not evolved right but, it, but he said to me, you know, this is hard because we don't go to manager school. And we can, I can, he has an MBA. And he says, MBA didn't teach me these things. And I say, but MBA doesn't always teach. And managerial skills are not always taught. They're there right. they're for you to develop. So I see, the way I see it in the next five years for me, Karine, is the learning and development portion of every organization will change a little bit right? In the old days, it was always about self-development. Now, I think it's really about how can I push you so that you partner the organization to create a culture that allows its employees to thrive as individuals as well. You know, you talk about purpose. I think that's an interesting one because, um, and I always get asked this, right? You know, as a woman, What's my purpose? I'm just a stay-at-home mom Which which really bugs me Because I say But that's your purpose already, right? Right, absolutely We all have different purposes, right? Um, And I think there will be There will be people That will discover that They cannot find their purpose In an organization No matter how hard they try Because their skill sets Do not allow them to feel that purpose you you know what I mean it's almost like I had friends who were accounting and they said you know I love what you do but all I do is look at numbers and I say well no it's valuable but they don't see it And, and then it almost came to a point where I realized I said look you know what your purpose is outside of work can you find something that you really love doing and so this particular accountant friend of mine she then went on to i take up art and started teaching art classes to little kids. And she said, I love it. It's so meaningful, blah, 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 right? I said, would, would this be your full-time job? And she said, no, I, I'm, I'm good at numbers still, right? It's just, I happen to have this creative outlet. And so again, I, I say this to people that, you know, the beauty of this is that there will be a group of younger, fresh graduates that I've met that come out and they look for purpose in the job. But there will also be many among that group that will discover that Sometimes the job can only give you this much and there will be purpose outside of work that you discover that you love and, and it's what you're good at and you know your your meaning in life. And so then the change then is the employer has to then create that that, that space that allows you to continue having that purpose, whether it's through your job or, or outside, and then and then be satisfied enough to, to stay on, right? And I think COVID um COVID accelerated that. It, it wasn't that it wasn't happening. It was already there. We were talking about this for years really, And then COVID's like, it's really in your face now because now I know what I want. I know what I'm missing. Yes. I'm going to come ask you for it, right? Um, And, and companies know this. That's why Volvo re- release all these things and suddenly you see companies going, we're going to do this. We're going to allow this, right? And it's, it's great. And, and now the next step is we're going to allow it. We're going to encourage it. How do I make sure that culturally... If someone takes it up, they're not penalised. How do I make sure that culturally you can talk about it? How can I make sure that, you know, um, it's not just the paternity leave, you know, because someone comes in as a caregiver and is looking after their parents, yes. what, well, you're not going to give it to them. So that's why I say culture, culture. I know yeah. some people tell me, don't keep talking about culture, but I cannot explain how... I've seen firms, big firms, huge firms where it's not in their, it's not written anywhere in their policy. But when you walk into the workplace, you know everyone has everybody's back. they, they, they they're just they're there for each other. They, they you know, you can job share, no job share. It doesn't matter. They're there because they want to be there and they almost they help each other
0: find purpose in their job. right you know? Right. Mm. Yeah, that's I mean, that's sort of, you know the ultimate, Aim, I feel, of people, right? Finding that company where it's they feel valued, as as you said earlier, as their yeah. whole self, and yeah, they, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So now we've talked about many different aspects. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners that we haven't touched upon? Um, actually, no. I think I touched on. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I guess I, I would just say this that, that you know. Oh, oh I, I do want to say something because yes. I know that um, you know us being in Asia is probably a little bit different um, culturally. The historical background of, of you know men and female, um, male and female roles is is quite a huge um, barrier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's changing, but it's not changing as fast. Uh, and I doubt it will change that fast because you're talking about something. It probably will take another generation. It's almost like I always say to women, you know, we have, we fight for our rights and in work. But when you go home, part of what you need to do is to teach your daughters to speak up for their rights and to teach your sons yeah. to be better husbands. Right. right? right. So, so you're talking about a new generation of maybe, it will take another one, two generations for it to start to... to sort of even out a little bit um, and perhaps to me that is within Asia that is one of the biggest challenge because I think Asia is growing very fast um, in terms of corporate and business wise mm-hmm. it's just, you know, productivity is huge right now and, and this is where the real issue challenge is because when you have companies wanting to make a lot of money the question then becomes are they willing to to meet their employees halfway. Right. You know. So, I mean, a lot of the things we read about in Europe, you know, the things that you mentioned, management having, job sharing, you know, it is not common in Asia. Right,
0: right. You
1: know, um, I think it's really because partly, uh, there is an element of it being cultural, you know, um, but I think there is a very strong element also because of what I mentioned that the the world on this, <laughs> this side of the world is at the moment, churning up a lot of things, right? It's, it's hugely going very fast. Right, you know, our right. technology is, is super fast and, and, and I mean, I mean, it was due China being so in our face and, and really pushing everything to go fast. Um, but this is this is why I think for us it's it's going to be a bit longer and harder than, than you know, Europe or, or, or even, I think even North America because they're very much about productivity. It's very much about Let's go. Let's go. Right. So yeah. whenever you're talking about that, I, I can honestly tell you, for all the diversity topics we talk about, once there's a question about productivity, they will tell me, "Well, we're canceling the meeting. You know, if one said, 'What are we gonna focus?' It, it, it's the nature of it, yeah. which is why um, when we go in and talk to employers, I don't sound like that. I sound a lot more about being on their side, right? Yes. To, you know, you have to explain to them why this talent pool benefits them in right. dollars, right? you know. And I know sometimes it can be very challenging, but it is the nature of, it is business, right? I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I say this all the time, rather than fight it and say, I'm going to protest against what you do. I, if I want this to work out, I have to find the solutions that will meet the employees halfway as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I I think I, I say this because I feel culturally that has an impact on us. So um, to your point also early on about you know whether men and women have equal roles, a lot of the discussions we're having in Singapore right now is how can we make the men step up more at home, right? Yeah. And again, I said this on Saturday. We had a we had a government uh, platform and you know we all got together and, and I was sharing. I, and I think this was a great point. I said. We can't change this overnight. A lot of the men that are currently in the workforce, they were brought up by a generation where they, you know, men were still the not the sole but the uh, the main breadwinner. Um, you're talking about things that will change. You're talking about things whereby, you know uh, how comfortable are men, you know, in a society where women go out to work and the men stay at home, right? And and again, to my point, on, because of COVID, more men will ask for bits of it. But will they give up their career entirely? My take is still no. Not in Asia anyway. Because our identities here for men is still very much packed to career. Yeah. You know? I find that um, men, when they lose a job, the, because I do some training for, for the government, mm-hmm. the men who've lost jobs, they are very traumatised it doesn't matter that their wives are actually working or their family, you know, it, it doesn't actually always need the money even. But they are so hugely traumatized. It's quite scary to watch. Um, whereas for the women, sometimes they are so they are also upset. They've lost their job. But they will tell me, well now I focus on the kids or you know, I'm gonna look after my grandkids. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the caregiving role is, is just there. Right,
0: you know? so, right.
1: So so I always ask men, don't you don't you want to caregive? Don't yeah. you want to you know you have grandkids too, right? Uh, yeah, I do. So it's almost like, you know. So so again, my point is, it's not that they don't want to do it, but their identity is so connected to their job. I have noticed men introduce themselves very often by what they do, right? And women, I do not know if it's like that in Europe, but in Asia, it tends to be like that. Women tend to, they may or may not mention their career, but no matter what the setting, without fail, somewhere along the way, there's a mention of the children you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Even my business partners that I work with, I know how many kids the women have. I don't know how many kids the males have, yeah. you know. And I always ask like myself, why like that? You know, why? We're just as close to them. So, um, I think that's cultural perhaps and, and 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 it might take a while for that to change because it's not just about the workplace, we're talking about the home, right. so how we each other, how do we you know, when, when I, I haven't told media this, you know, every time you write about a person, you know, you mention, Singapore is quite, they, they have no rules, so they mention the age, like, so for example, like Shirley Tau, you come up, you know, 40, whatever years so, old, and then they'll always put my job title, even if it's not related to the, you mm-hmm. know, and, and for women, I notice this, when the women um, don't have a job title because they stay at home, they don't write anything, which is fine, no one questions. But for a male without fail, they have to put down a job. And and I asked me yeah, why do you have to do that? If the guy is in between jobs or he's staying at home, what do you write? And they say, no, we have to put something. So they will put something, for example, uh, is currently uh doing a part time business. And then they, <laughs> why? You know? So so again, this is my point about how these are so deeply entrenched. Um you're talking, you're asking males to to change the way they identify themselves. Mm-hmm. And will that ever happen? I don't know. Because it's a hard one, right? A woman very often identifies herself, not just with, with career. And, and women is the opposite. I find that if it's a career woman, they get really upset when they when they have... They, they, it's almost like they introduce themselves to their career, right? And then if you try to ask them more about their work, it's because they've... Uh, sorry, about their family. And they've pushed their co- family to the back. Because of their career I met a couple of CEOs Like that And they would have to wait To be privately In a lift with me That they will tell me About their kids And I think Oh why you, you, you know So again This whole idea that Women Women here feel That their nurturing role Is the more important one And men feeling that That hunter role Is more important We're talking about That major shift to happen before Long term These things will change Yeah well, might be very dreamy I guess
0: No it's It's very, very interesting, Shirley, what you're saying, because, you know, while like, so, you know, the job sharing might be more advanced, say, or more common in Germany, as far as the number of female CEOs, the number of, you know, female members of an advisory board are very, very Um, small. So they actually introduced Mm -hmm. quotas to increase it. And and sometimes, you know, you're talking about interviews, then there might be a female um, professional in Germany that is being asked, um, you know, how are you handling, um, working and having kids, They might be asked, men, exactly. And so there is definitely, you know, so there is, shifts there too. And, um, you know, in in the US and, and, you know, in in Canada, I would say it is much more common that you have female CEOs or female um, members of advisory board, but it still is not anywhere near like, you know, 50-50 to men. So, so it's, it's just really, To me, I find it so important to have these conversations so more people, you know, we have listeners literally from around the world can hear and, you know, sort of then look at where is their country and what could they do to, you know, present some change and make it that people have more choices. And I think that's ultimately the key is how can we have people you know, go according to the choices they feel is the right thing for them so that they can bring their whole, you yeah, know, yeah. To, to work. So, self
1: to work, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think ultimately this is the thing. So we always say, um, I, my, my colleagues and I are not we're, not, we're not, we're not, when we say gender equality, it's not that like we think we're equal. What we're saying is really that allow every, allow any person to come into work and, and, and feel like they can be who they are right? Because along the way, I think, Karine, you probably understand this as well. Along the way, you are bound to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And who am I doing this for? This is part of life, right? Yeah. Is and, and, and especially nowadays, because people tend to fall sick and, and you have all kinds of challenges along the way. All the more you will ask yourself, why Why am I doing this? You know, and who is it for? And, and these are questions that, fundamentally, no matter who you are as a human being, it will cross your mind. And, and gone are the days where people don't want to discuss it. Increasingly, people are talking about it. Right. And, and when you have these conversations, the ones who are quieter will say, actually, I have the same thoughts. It's just that, you know, um, I, and I, I, I had someone share this with me the other day, you know, it's an older gentleman and he said, I think my best advice is always, as we go through life, we don't want to We don't want to go through it and ask ourselves what have we really done right and and the purpose that you talked about so um and sometimes that purpose it's not it may not be related to work like what i mentioned so if if it's related to life then perhaps the question then is can companies help us halfway so that at least it doesn't feel like you're constantly trying to struggle you're constantly trying to meet the demands of, of, of a certain work uh you know work arrangement because because and you have to give up your, your purpose right and and I think young people know this and they're going to keep asking for it. I mean, this will not change, this idea that people are more purposeful, they want right. more, it won't change. This is even happening in developing countries you know. Um, I, I hear friends who hire in Vietnam or in Indonesia and they say well you know the, the young graduates come in and say I want to have meaning. When I'm a mother, I want I want this, you know. So so it's happening because people read about it, they think about it, and they say, Well, why not me, right? Why can't I have it? you know, and um so as as you have like I said, as the voices get louder and louder, the, the, the structures come apart and then you rebuild the structures. This is what's happening right now. You have all your personality you have all these things. Uh, and then the next step is the culture, it gets replaced by the groups. So my wish is always I say, um my daughter's 13 by the time she becomes a mother, which is pretty soon, I guess, about 15 years, she'll probably start thinking about having a family. Um, hopefully by then the choices are there and she doesn't have to feel like she has to compromise her purpose just to, to make ends meet, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Now, how can people contact you, Shirley? Uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's okay.
1: LinkedIn, sorry. And uh, we have a website, so they can actually go to our website and uh, drop me an email. or um, And so it's mumsatwork.net. And Mums is uh, spelled S-M-U-M-S. Yeah, we, we follow the British English spelling.
0: Okay. And I will put it in the show notes as well so people can find it there. Well yeah yeah. Thank you so much Shirley for coming on to the show and sharing all your knowledge and insights so more people around the world can learn. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Hopefully it was useful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.